Hello and welcome to the Book of Lee's podcast. My name is Cara and I am your host. Welcome to episode 44 of Book of Leaves. It is lovely to have you here. If this is your very first podcast episode with Book of Leaves, then you're so, so welcome. This is a podcast all about platforming people who are doing amazing things for the planet in Ireland or with some connection to Ireland. And the whole idea is we take a leaf from their book. I could also rename it That's So Cool because... I say that's so cool (laughs) so often in this podcast but uh, for any regular listeners hello and welcome back it is lovely to have you here if you want to fast forward about four or five minutes to when Zach starts chatting you can absolutely do that but just to give some updates as to what's going on as I kind of like to do with every episode as we're speaking now I'm recording this actually on May day the first of May how is it May already I have no idea but I just want to say a quick thank you and word of appreciation to some people who listen to this podcast and because I recently just shared something on social media on Facebook and on Instagram on my podcast page about how tiring it is to be constantly campaigning for you know (laughs) climate justice and uh, climate action and then when you work in a place and an environment that does not align with those values in any way it's just so tiring so I work in a supermarket so I just shared a post being like oh I feel really drained Um, and shout out to anyone else who's in a similar position where they're working in an environment that is just not doesn't align with your values whatever they are it might not be climate related stuff you know um, so, so many people got in touch um, just to tell me not to give up the podcast and how the podcast has made them uh, give up fast fashion or stop eating meat. And I never intended to, you know, encourage messages like that but oh my god they were so welcome and so lovely um so thank you so much to everyone who who reached out and I do honestly send so much love to anyone who is working in an environment that doesn't align with your values because oh my god it is difficult like I I I won't last in this in this supermarket and that's on me that's a choice that I have the privilege to make because at the moment I'm just trying to save everything so that I can go back to being broke again because that's what I know <laughs> but on the message of being broke thank you to my patrons Um, really appreciate you guys and anyone who is supporting this podcast you can do that through ACAST directly now you can also do it on book of leaves on book of leaves and buy me a coffee forward slash book of leaves and yeah I have a Patreon account as well if you're able to contribute from a euro to whatever you like that would be amazing I mean you never know the more I get there the more likely I am to just spend all my time then on the podcast and um, doing activism stuff that's the dream but yeah I'm kind of I'm still working on that working on what I want to do I'm 27 you don't need to know right but moving on to this week's podcast episode at the time of this recording me and Zach. Zach is a fellow activist and friend of mine. Um, I only met Zach for the first time in 
April last year when I was helping out with a new kind of campaign that a lot of other Extinction Rebellion activists started called Be a Hero which is to encourage people to grow their own food at home and I had one of those activists Sinead on the podcast and that's a really popular episode it's all about you know growing your own food and stuff which is really just good to know real basic kind of skills and yeah i first met Zach on just a Zoom call. So the first time I actually met him was first at the Department of Agriculture protest on the sep- on September 15th, which we talk about. And himself and Orla Murphy, another activist, were both arrested for an action recently on the 19th of March. And we will go into that in detail. At the time of this recording, Orla, the person who partook in the action Zach was just filming it has actually since been released so they were released I think three or four days after we recorded this so I think they were released like just over a week ago now when you guys are hearing this or let sign their bail conditions you can still write to them at the email address that Zach shares and yeah you can you can keep in touch with all the activist groups that that we mention online and you can get involved and I do want to actually shout out that if you're listening to this today when this is released there is a new members meeting for anyone interested in getting to know more about or joining Extinction Rebellion Ireland if you're in Ireland we do have a meeting tomorrow at 7pm and I'm actually hosting that so if you want to come along and you know, get to know how we do direct actions and why we do direct actions. You'll get, obviously get a good insight here, but we go into it also tomorrow. Um, if you're listening in the future, I'm so sorry, but there will be more upcoming ones. And wherever you are in the world, there will be a local direct action group near you, be it Extinction Rebellion, um, Fridays for Future, Scientist Rebellion. There will be someone, Black Lives Matter, you know, get involved with an activist group. Um, I have met so many amazing people doing that. And yes, of course, as well, there's so many people in Extinction Rebellion, Scientist Rebellion, you know, me and Zach don't represent the opinions of all individuals. So that's the kind of gist. I just wanted to prelude it with that. But I am going to ask you to stick around for the show notes. I know this is a long episode. I shaved off 20 minutes, but Zach was just too enlightening. So yeah, uh, stick around for the show notes after and I'm going to share an activist call to action request that Orla has since put up on her social media for people to to get involved with. Um, so yeah, that is it. I think here is Zach. I hope you guys enjoy, have a cup of tea or enjoy your walk wherever you are and I'm sending you so much love and thank you so much for listening and don't forget to share it with a friend. Okay, <laughs> that's it. Here's Zach. All right. Hello, Zach. And thank you so much for joining me on the Book of Leaves podcast. You're so welcome here. And I would like to ask you to introduce yourself to the guests who might not know who you are. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Cara. Um, I'm Zach. Um, I'm an undergraduate biologist. I'm 21. I live in Cork, but I study in England. And I'm a climate activist with various different banners of uh, work with extinction rebellion animal rebellion scientist rebellion and any, any rebellion really um yeah and system and change ireland as well aren't you and, 
and System Change Ireland, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a few flags are waving. I love it. And you're so you're from Cork originally. I love finding out from people if they were always kind of eco-conscious, um, where their inspiration came or if there was a moment that like triggered it for them. So was there a moment for you or were your parents like influential in that regard or how did it come about? Yeah, it, it came about when I was really young. I I was reading um, National Geographic Kids magazines and I, I learned about the, you know, climate crisis then or more it was the biodiversity crisis really. And yeah, I was only 10 and it was really upsetting and confusing because I was learning that, you know, the polar bears were dying and nobody cared, um, you know, and it said to turn off the taps and turn off the lights and all of that stuff. And I really, really took that to heart. And it ended up being like, a, you know, psychologically a problem um, for me. Um, ended up developing obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and I would go around the house um every night and check all the taps and lights were off so it became like obsessive and I had to get counseling for it when I was like 10 or 11 so yeah so it's been with me for a really long time um unfortunately I learned you know coping mechanisms and you know how to deal with it um but it, it ingrained a very solid drive in me to study hard and you know become a scientist and you know become a scientist and I'll do research and I'll fix everything and it'll be, I'll be good. So yeah, for me, it's been really quite a, like a long history. I've always been really interested in the environment and in nature, particularly love plant biology. Um, so yeah, been with me for a long time. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear it had such a, um, an effect on you like that, like for a child that is that's it can be really it can be really scary I'm not entirely surprised like it in a way it it makes sense because you're as a child you're learning these horrific things so it's not totally out of the woodwork um that that was your natural response so yeah and how were your parents at that point like did they were they concerned about you know biodiversity and and how were they kind of responding to your anxieties about it um they were obviously very concerned and yeah you know I was 11 (laughs) so they were the ones who obviously organized like me getting some counseling and stuff um you know I was told it was like a textbook case of OCD um according to the the psychologist. But yeah, um, they were just very, you know, understanding. I think they understood that, you know, that the climate crisis was a serious issue. And, you know, they just told me, you know, like, you can't do everything. You are one person, (laughs) you know, and you can't be worrying about all the taps across Ireland. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to do your best. Um, So yeah, they were concerned, but helpful. And I think they did sort of get it yeah okay and what about you the rest of your family do you come from a big family or have you got siblings that were kind of thinking the same things so I have one younger brother called Jacob I don't think he was reading the same magazine um he didn't have the same level of concern anyway speaking to him now he is more concerned about it he's not you know involved in activism but I think he might start getting involved soon but yeah, I, yeah, just just Jacob, um, and he didn't have the same level of, uh, I guess, eco anxiety or eco grief that I did at that age, which I'm really glad about, <laughs> obviously. 
And do you remember then the first time that you started to become like more active around it? Yeah. So when I started university, I mean, it had never like the climate crisis had never gone off my radar, but I had sort of created this narrative for myself that I would, you know, become a scientist and do research and, you know, fix it kind of thing. And I guess university was like a very uncomfortable and upsetting awakening um, that this isn't a scientific problem, it's a political problem. The science has always been there. Um, It's been there for more than 40 years. And the problem isn't, you know, that we don't know what's going on. Not even that we don't know how to fix it. It's that it's a political issue. So that was quite an, I guess, upsetting awakening for me. So I started second year and again, I had mental health issues sort of resurfacing um, and I had to take a year out. And during that year, I, I recovered, but I also, I, I started learning more. Um, so I had this break from university and I was able to just learn more about the political dimension, about the extent of the climate crisis. And I started learning about, you know, civil disobedience in action. Um, and that's when I got involved in Extinction Rebellion and I started acting. So the first, I guess, like, proper direct action that I got involved with was with Animal Rebellion last summer. So as you know, um, with Animal Rebellion, we all went to um, the Department of Agriculture um, and we did uh, an action regarding a just transition and how farmers are being hung out to dry and Big Agri are making a killing. Um, Oh, sorry about the pun there. That was not intentional. (laughs) Um, Um, so that was kind of the first time I really like put what I'd learned into practice, if you, if you will. Yeah. Amazing. Um, um oh, I remember that day so well. It was very it was exciting, uh, to be out after such a long lockdown with just a, a small number of people in a socially distant manner for anyone listening that's concerned. Um, so we're definitely going to talk about, um, I guess, civil disobedience. But before we get into that, I know you're also, um, like, Animal Rebellion is about the transition to a plant-based food system and you're vegan. So when did you go vegan? Uh, I went vegan just over a year ago. And before that, I'd been vegetarian for about a year. Yeah, it's been a, a kind of about two years since I, like, started the transition. It was really the climate and ecological emergency that got me into it. Um or, you know, I learned that um, to minimize your individual impact. The two the two biggest things really you can do are switch to a plant-based diet and stop flying. So those are the two things I was like, I'm going to tackle these first. Through switching to a plant-based diet, I got more interested and learned more about animal welfare issues, but also other things regarding animal agriculture that people don't typically think of, like pandemics, for example. You know, I learned a lot more about you know, the role of animal agriculture mm. in emerging infectious diseases, how it results in massive land clearing. So yeah, so it started off as a climate thing, but now it's both an animal welfare and a climate thing. Yeah, amazing. Just wanted, I like getting people's um, <laughs> triggers as to why they went they went vegan or vegetarian. Um, okay, so civil disobedience. What is that for anyone who listening who might just might not be kind of aware i definitely wouldn't have really known how to describe it until very recently can you describe it for listeners yeah absolutely so civil disobedience is like the refusal to obey certain laws or demands or orders of a government 
So it's like a type of political action um, that requires nonviolent um, disobedience of the law. So there's a, a variety of terms used to describe this that are all kind of interrelated, like nonviolent direct action, nonviolent civil resistance, etc. So yeah, I might use those kind of interchangeably. Um, but essentially, what it's about is using nonviolent conflict strategically to advance a conversation, a debate, a movement, um, and to show you know resistance. Um, against a particular law that you feel to be unjust or a government that you feel to be unjust. So when, when you think about civil disobedience, like it's about power um, and a group or an individual has power if people obey, right? So the government has power because everyone obeys the government. So this can be, this could be for a few reasons. Like if you're living in a police state, you might obey out of fear or necessity. Or maybe if you live in a more democratic country, it could be because, you know, you believe that power to be legitimate and therefore you comply with it. Um, and for a long time, I had like criticisms of the government, but, you know, still, you know, respected the government or, you know, the, the rule of law. And that is because, you know, I guess I'm, I'm privileged, you know, I'm, I'm white middle class guy from Ireland. So, you know, this system has benefited me a lot. But it was learning about the extent of the climate and ecological emergency that sort of shattered the illusion for me that the government is actually doing everything it can. So, yeah. So essentially, to summarize, civil disobedience is, you know, refusing to obey um, and taking away that power that you give to someone by obeying. Okay. And what examples are there? historically or present day speaking of civil disobedience that people can kind of use to put it into context yeah um so i mean historically you know we can think of you know gandhi and the quit india movement we can think of the civil rights movement in the u.s think of the suffragettes people power in the philippines um civil resistance against slobdan milosevic in serbia pinochet in chile etc there's really interesting work by um, Eric Chenoweth and Maria Stefan um, that show that nonviolent campaigns are more successful than violent campaigns. And what's really interesting is that there's a trend of decreasing amount of violent campaigns and increasing amount of um, nonviolent campaigns uh, with increasing success. And we can think about other, you know, movements today. Think of Extinction Rebellion and Animal Rebellion, um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, reclaim the streets so yeah essentially you know if you can think of peaceful protest that involves some sort of level of disruption um that's pretty much you know nonviolent um civil resistance i, I mentioned some work by stefan and chenoweth just there but there's also work by robertson ash um which is civil resistance and power politics anything by gene sharp there's a whole variety of literature on the topic um, that shows exactly why it's effective um, and in the case of Gene Sharp kind of how to do it. Okay yeah I think it's it's definitely good to educate ourselves around it because what happens when you see these disruptive protests is always a lot of backlash from you expect it from the people on the opposite end of the scale but it's the people in the middle or the people who agree with your message but don't agree with the methods um, mm -hmm. that I think can do like a lot of damage 
So yeah, I thank you for mentioning those people. I'd only actually heard of Chenoweth. Um so I'll link um them in the show notes so people can follow them up, follow them up. And yes, nonviolence. I think it's really important not only like historically that it's it's more effective than violent revolutions or rebellions, but also it, you're kind of like being the change that you want to see. Like I just think that's important. Um that, you know, we don't need to we don't need to like use war to, to win policy. You can absolutely sit down in the middle of a road. There's definitely a strong moral element to it, you know, in nonviolence um, and, you know, nonviolent principle. And if you think of Gandhi and Martin Luther King, they were both deeply, you know, spiritual or religious individuals. I'm not saying that you have to be religious, <laughs> um, but you, you know, you need to be, I guess, morally affirm um, to, to sort of, you know, engage yeah. in that, if that makes sense. And where does the line... Where is the line drawn when it comes to um, like property? So say, you know, you might see um, disruption in the form of like sit down protests and marches and blockades. They're they're straightforward enough. But then, you know, you might bring in um, there's, for example, Extinction Rebellion Rebellion in the UK have this campaign at the moment called Money Rebellion, where they're trying to campaign um, against uh, the funding that the banks are giving, like banks are giving money to fossil fuel industries, basically. So what they're doing is they're showing up to banks early in the morning and they're hammering um, like a, a chisel or something into the glass and the, fa- the facade of the building, the facade. The whole message is in case of emergency, break glass. They make sure that they do it safely. They don't hurt anyone, et cetera, et cetera. But some people see that as damage to property and is is that violence you know where and I'm just I know you you kind of know of that campaign so I was just explaining it for listeners but like have you got any insight or reflections on the kind of the difference or you know where that kind of lies in the movement mm-hmm. um from a sort of like I guess literature perspective or like a technical perspective what nonviolence means is no bodily or mental harm to to you know individuals you could extend that to all life like all you know non-human life as well so in that case you know property damage properties are not sentient properties don't feel pain <laughs> um and as a result it's you know non-violent obviously you know it's more complicated than that because for example an extreme example would be maybe arson that is, I would argue that that is violent because there is risk to life from arson because it can come out of control. Um, but in terms of what, you know, Extinction Rebellion in the UK were doing with the window smashing, that was done in a very careful and controlled manner, you know, and I think their whole slogan was, you know, better broken windows than broken futures. There is an inherent violence in our carbon economy. There is inherent violence to people across the world through pollution, through kind of capitalist neocolonialism, I think, you know, damage to some windows that can be replaced (laughs) is nothing compared to the Mm. intrinsic violence within the system, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, and people, you know, will retaliate with the cost the taxpayers will have to pay for these windows re- replacement. And I'm like, you know how expensive, first of all, the COVID pandemic is, which is caused by um our relationship with nature and animals. Um, and the climate crisis is going to be so much more expensive. Oh God, um, it's really hard mm. to keep <laughs> just to keep myself like from going off the rails too much because it is it's a really heated topic for so many people but so we've got okay we have an idea of the of non-violent um civil disobedience so your second action with honor rebellion was at keypack um their slaughterhouse and meat processing factory in december and the whole messaging behind that was to prevent pandemics we need to end animal farming animal farming is a huge driver in zoonotic pandemics which is what we're in now and at that protest the whole theme was we were quarantining the site so yourself and some other activists were dressed in white hazmat suits and we had cow masks on and the whole reason for that is you know to get more kind of attention take better photographs so we can you know spread that further spread the message further because obviously because we were in a pandemic we didn't have a lot of people there now the reason I'm saying this is this was the first time you were arrested so can you tell us what was that like and what what exactly happened that you were arrested for yeah absolutely yeah um I mean first of all I think that was really I don't I, I thought the protest was great I think we got some really striking images like you said you know in the time of a pandemic you know you can't have that you know mass um so you have to make it dramatic yeah <laughs> so one thing that we did was um or one thing that I did was um we had this green fluorescent dye in a um sort of like a like one of I those spray like a, pumps that um you see, pe- like people use pesticides. yeah, people use it for pesticide, but uh, this one wasn't pesticide. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there was a, a big spray pump with this um, green dye, um, and theatrically, um, in my hazmat suit, um, I disinfected um, the Keepak monument, which was you know a big stone monument that said Keepak on it. Uh, there was a guard at the scene already. Um, I was restrained by. Uh, by some of the staff and then a guard was questioning me and he brought along a superior um, who arrested me. I want to make it clear that that green dye is completely inert. Um, it's the it's called fluorescent and it's the stuff that they use to dye you know the river in Chicago uh, for St. Patrick's Day. It's the same stuff. Um, so it's completely inert and just comes off in the rain. Yeah so I was arrested and taken to Blanchestown Guard Station um, and I was held in a cell for a few hours, um, got a, a short call to a solicitor, and I was um, given station bail. So essentially, um, what I was arrested under was suspicion of criminal damage um, without lawful excuse. Now, first of all, I don't think it's criminal damage um, because it's, um, you know, this inert dye that just comes off in the rain. Um that will cause no permanent damage. But even if, you know, legally, they do want to argue, because the court case hasn't happened yet, even if they do want to argue that it is criminal damage um, through defacement or something like that, that I strongly believe that I have reasonable excuse. 
because, you know, <laughs> we're in a global planetary crisis. We're facing mass loss of life. We, we've currently warmed the planet somewhere between 1.1 and 1.3 degrees, right? And this means we're at a really crucial point because we're in the danger zone where we can trigger irreversible climate tipping points, climate feedbacks. Some of them may lie between one and two degrees. So we're already in this sort of danger zone. And estimates are showing that we're heading for plus four degrees, plus five degrees, or even plus six degrees of warming by the end of the century, right? Which is incompatible with an organized global community. I mean, for context, you know, island nations call for 1.5 to stay alive. And um, in 2009, at the G77, Lumumba Duping said that two degrees of warming is certain death for Africa. This is really, really extreme and really serious. And I would prefer to not be doing activism. I would prefer to be reading or tending to my veg garden. But, you know, I feel like I have to conscientiously object. Um, and for that reason, I think that this protest, in my view, I had a reasonable legal excuse because I'm trying to prevent greater harm. The legal system may not see it that way. And I will absolutely stand by my actions. Um, and if they want to punish me for that, I'll take it. But, you know, I do strongly believe that I had reasonable excuse. Okay. And why do people put themselves in positions knowing that they'll likely be arrested? Um, why does that happen? Why did you do that? There's a, a few a, a few reasons um, why people do that. One is the extent of the emergency, which I kind of just outlined. Another is that everything else we've tried has failed, right? You know, for more than 40 years, the environmental movement has, you know, lobbied, um, emailed, you know, signed petitions, etc. And all these conventional methods have, have failed. And it's not for lack of science, because, you know, for decades, scientists have warned governments about the risks, and they've just been completely ignored. So people are getting desperate and, you know, are looking for, I guess, a new outlet or a more effective way to, to protest. And I think another reason as well is, you know, people, I'm, again, I'm speaking from, you know, a white you know, male Irish perspective, right? And I think people with privilege, you know, recognize that, you know, we're the ones who have benefited from this system so much. Meanwhile, indigenous land protectors are literally just murdered for just trying to protect their land and water, right? More than 200 people, you know, indigenous peoples are murdered every year. And there's probably many more that just go completely unregistered. That's just for trying to protect their land and water, right? I really strongly feel that people with privilege like myself, you know, and other people in Ireland and, you know, the global north, we need to resist, non-violently, of course, governments that have caused this through this, you know, neo-colonialism, you know. It's these big international corporations that, are, that <laughs> come from the global north that are they're causing this exploitation. So I think that's one of the reasons. I think finally... A lot of people feel trapped, um, you know, in Ireland, people feel trapped within the system. People feel kind of helpless and don't really know how to act. Individual action is really important. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, you know, the two biggest things you can do are switch to a plant-based diet and stop flying. And people are, are, you know, doing many, many other sort of individual actions, like cutting back on plastic. Really important, really commendable. But people recognize that 
individual action alone isn't going to solve this crisis. Mm. And civil disobedience for people is kind of an act of self-liberation from a system that you know is harmful and you don't want to be a part of. And it's sort of a way of, of saying no. It's like saying, no, I'm not going to be part of this system anymore. I'm going to start resisting this system. And if that means you're going to arrest me, if that means you're going to put me in a cell, so be it. But I don't have an, I don't want anything to do with your system anymore. And additionally, you know, it signals to other people that the emergency is serious. Um, it's so serious that you feel the need to, to resist. And again, you know, I need to add that clarification. Civil resistance is not something that everyone has the privilege to do. You know, people mm-hmm. are limited by their socioeconomic, you know, situation. Maybe they're a carer. So many different reasons. Um, but that just, I guess, it, for some reasons, just shows that it's more important for those who can to do it. Yeah. Um, really well said. Yeah, I think it's important to say, like, for example, there'll be people in Ireland who have are here on work visas, obviously, <laughs> do not mm-hmm. put yourself yeah. forward. Or, you know, if you're from certain communities, if you're black or if you're a traveller, you will most likely get a harsher um, sentence as well. So definitely that's something really important to highlight that not everyone isn't a privileged um, place that they can put themselves up for arrest which again is <laughs> why we need system change because oh my god mm-hmm. there's so many um so many issues and I think also mm-hmm. you know um people often forget that with big movements and civil disobedience it can be really annoying for everyone else you know <laughs> that's the whole yeah. that's the whole point um and you just you want to get on with your life and you want the traffic jam to stop and I I understand that but it's I think that you know we forget we're a, a species that has a very short-term memory around certain things and you know we talk about now I know 1916 Rising was not non-violent like that was um um a violent rebellion but just to use it as an example that very few people were on um, their side before they saw the way that the British um, guard treated them. And then there was the sympathy and they realised, like, if they're being oppressed, we're being oppressed, you know. So I think we have to kind of remember that, yeah, disruption is annoying but it's it's not as annoying as the climate crisis is going to be and you know it is okay to to change your opinion um i've changed mine (laughs) so many times recently but yeah so thank you for for putting yourself out there now we're skirting around the elephant in the room what Mm. happened on the 19th of march most recently right so the 19th of March was a global strike day called for um, Fridays for Future International. Um, so the youth movement started by Greta Thunberg, um, as many will know. Um, essentially, sort of for the reasons I outlined earlier, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and you can't get, you know, mass numbers on the street. You have to do something a little bit more radical um, to get the same sort of, you know, I guess, publicity or attention. Right. So fellow activist and friend of mine Orla Murphy uh she's worked with Fridays for Future she's worked with Extinction Rebellion she wanted to do an action um for this international strike day the theme of which was no more empty promises and she wanted to 
you know, protest the government's you know, complete failure to act um, on the climate and ecological emergency. And she did this by taking action against the Department of Foreign Affairs. People might know that Ireland is now recently on the Security Council. So we have a really huge responsibility to prevent conflict. And to prevent conflict, what we need to do is stop the climate and ecological emergency because it will result in war. It will result in mass displacement. We're looking at one to three billion people displaced in the next 50 years, which is just mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, the Syrian refugee crisis was like, oh, I don't know the exact number, but like the difference between a billion and a million is really hard to get your head around that if that caused such problems. Just imagine... Mm -hmm terrifying sorry go Absolutely. on no it, it really is terrifying uh, I, I know i'm getting a little bit distracted but i think something that's interesting is um a lot of people don't realize that the the syrian you know crisis was partially caused by the climate crisis because there was the worst drought that had happened in decades um and that caused you know a crisis in food production which led to to unrest, which is just a microcosm of what we're facing on a global scale. But anyway, um, so as part of this action, Orla got a bucket of pink paint and diluted it with water and threw it um, at either side of Ivy House, um, which is the uh, Department of Foreign Affairs headquarters, and with red spray paint wrote, no more empty promises onto the building. I was there and I was live streaming um, the whole action. Um, and I live streamed directly to Extinction Rebellion in Cork. <laughs> Not surprisingly, Orla was arrested and I was also arrested uh, at the scene. We were both taken and um, detained overnight at Kevin Street Garda Station and taken to court the next morning for a bail hearing. Orla was first and she refused really excessive bail conditions um, put on her. One, uh, out of principle, and two, um, to you know, continue to boost the profile of this case. And Orla is still in prison now, as we're recording. She's in the Doka Centre um, of Mountjoy. She's been there for more than a month now, because um, today is the 20th that we're recording this. So she's been in there for, for four weeks, continuing to protest, you know, the government's inaction on this crisis. I was also, as I mentioned, I was also um, arrested and given a bail hearing. I was, I also had quite extreme bail conditions put on me. I was given the maximum cash bail and given 40 minutes to provide the money. Obviously, I could not get, you know, um, so it was 500 that I had to pay myself and then independently, someone had to pay 2,500 euro, which is an extreme amount of money. And why? Why did they have that? Because I think Orla's bail was 500 um, and her bail and her bail conditions were quite severe. Why was yours so much worse when you weren't the one doing the action? You were there filming it. Yeah, um, we don't really know. There's a few different theories suggested by the solicitor and by other activists. Um, one is that potentially Orla really pissed off the judge um, by refusing her bail conditions, sort of an act of defiance. Another is that because Orla refused her bail conditions, they thought it'd be unlikely that I would commit to mine if I did accept them. Um, and hence the more sort of punitive um, amount. And then another um, sort of theory is that the guardi might have thought that I coerced Orla into doing this. Because one of the guardi, guardi said to to Orla, you know, oh, that guy's, a, you know, Zach, he's a bastard, isn't he? You know, and she was like, what? <laughs> um, so it sort of seemed like there was this sort of impression that 
Orla went and did the uh, did the dirty work, and I just filmed it. Um, and sort of I'd coerced her into doing it, which is extremely misogynistic because it suggests yeah. that Orla, as you know, a young woman cannot make decisions for herself. But also, as well, it's just completely false because you know Orla was going to do this. She had this planned, and. I was like, well, I don't want you to go up to Dublin by yourself. You know, I'm going to go there and, you know, film for you um, and show you some support. So that could be another reason why I was given such high bail. So, yeah, so I spent two days in um, Cloverhill Remand Prison until we were able to raise the funds uh, for the bail. Um, and then I was released. But like I said, Orla is still inside. Yeah, she's still inside. So before we talk about more about Orla, what was it like for you? Because I know I, like, I'll definitely have Orla on the podcast in future when she is hopefully released. But what was it like for you? And I've never, you know, my experience of prison is Orange is the New Black on Netflix, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> what's it like? It was actually fine. I was treated really nicely in prison and my cellmate was really lovely. We had great chats. He was really friendly. Honestly, I was treated more sort of roughly um, by the Guardi themselves um, before actually going to Cloverhill. There were sort of a few things that made me uncomfortable in, in Cloverhill. Um, one was that, so I had a meeting with the governor and he was, because everyone who's new to the prison has a meeting with the governor. Um, and he was asking about my education and I told him that I was studying biology, etc. And then about like half an hour or an hour later, someone came around to my cell and they were like, are you okay to be here, you know, with, with these sort of people? And I was like, what? I was like, oh, sorry, sorry, what do you mean? And he was like, he was like, look, Zach, you're an educated man. Like, are you, are you okay to be with these sort of people? Jesus. And that made me really uncomfortable and angry because I was like, first of all, the, lo- the law is supposedly meant to treat everyone equally. So who gives a shit, <laughs> you know, whether I have an ed- education or not and secondly you were just assuming that my cellmate doesn't have an education potentially just because he's black you know and having spoken to my cellmate he is he is an educated man <laughs> you know um so that really honestly honestly that was the worst thing um that's horrific because it was like that's fucking shocking oh my god yeah because it's like wow this system is really rotten um it's racist and classist right down to the core and that was really upsetting um, because it's sort of thing that I didn't want to believe. I thought it was the case, but I didn't really want to fully accept it. Um, but that really kind of confirmed for me that it is. And in some ways, that's a good thing because it's sort of reaffirmed my internal thoughts about the system and the need to to disobey. But in terms of how I was like physically treated in prison, it was it was it was fine. It was absolutely fine. And it just makes me grateful to be living in Ireland, you know because I was speaking to an activist from Kenya. And she was like, I'm really terrified about rebelling because I've heard stories of the worst happening to activists in jail. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm just very grateful to be living in Ireland, really. Yeah. Oh, that's that's horrific. Um, Okay, so Orla has been in there a month. It'll be a month and it'll be about six weeks at the time listeners are hearing this. She wrote these letters to you can write to Orla and um, what's her email to write to her if, if anyone wants to do that it's a uh, Orla on remand at protonmail.com amazing so they sent her a lot of letters and she released she sent back a letter of her own um which again I'll include a link to 
And I just found her really inspiring. And I think the most important thing she said was a lot of you are calling me a hero. I Now, I'm paraphrasing her own words here. Um, I should have had it up in front of me. But she was like, a lot of you are calling me a hero and I don't want you to do that. Like, you are all heroes. You're putting me on a pedestal. Um, maybe this is the quote that you're referring to. I'm not claiming to be perfect, but I do my best to tell the truth and then act like it's real. I'm not superhuman. If you wanted to, you could live up to your ideals. So don't cheer from the sidelines. Get your fucking boots on and get on the pitch. <laughs> Which is just excellent. Yeah, um, definitely. Like you're when we say Greta Thunberg or, you know, we look at these figures and we go, wow, they're heroes. You know, that's amazing. Fair play. Fair folks couldn't do what they did. You you take you it's like you're taking the power away from yourself. You you can do that. Like we're not it's not yeah we need to i think get rid of that kind of like heroic complex that we're all normal citizens but yeah there's another quote she says and she's like i'm not an expert in anything dropped out of education three times and i'm writing to you from a prison in our world that's not a lot of clout or very good credentials you wouldn't be writing it on your cv like but we really should those failures are actually the things i'm proudest of i fought my way back time and time again I failed and I handled it you can too and yeah yeah and she's right you know I think we're a lot more resilient than give ourselves credit for mm-hmm. definitely and you know as many people who listen to this are already already aware of the climate crisis when you do think about it it is just so terrifying um that for me and for many, most people I talk to the only way of dealing with that terror, that anxiety, that grief is by doing something. And while I think, you know, lobbying is important, I am not a politician. I am not a lobbyist. You know, I am not. Um, I I write to my TDs and I attend, um, you know, One Future and Stop Climate Chaos calls. But I'm not someone who has the brain capacity to understand policy. I personally cannot do that I'm more of a creative mind but I just care so much about the planet and that they need to change that like they need we need to change the system that we're in as fast as they've done it when it came to COVID like the, the crisis was so much bigger we were told before COVID that we couldn't possibly house all the homeless people um yeah as soon as they were you know considered to be kind of a threat to public health suddenly we've magically found a way to house all of them in you know the hotels and we were told that we'd never accept flying less you know um to combat the climate crisis yeah you know everyone has made massive changes to their lives you know people are staying at home we really can come together and we can act in solidarity with each other and act to protect each other when when we're told it's an emergency um and when the government start acting it like it you know mm-hmm. so we really we really can do these things and we don't even need the same level of i don't think we need the same level of sacrifice or disruption to to fix the climate and ecological emergency compared to covid yeah and there's so many more benefits we can reap as well 
you know exactly so much more like imagine food security imagine knowing how to, like i'm freaking out trying to grow plants for the first time trying to grow food i don't know what to do like how come no one taught me this when do i put the rocket outside it's it's coming up so fast <laughs> like so i'm just i'm like imagine having those skills imagine having like a four day work week and ha- not having to commute to work these are things that you know co- covid are kind of like shining a little light on but imagine having fresh air all the time that doesn't kill you and and yeah. you know and not having slaughterhouses full of workers mostly from direct provision because no one else wants those jobs and imagine not um having so much pollution that we're just missing EU targets and having to pay millions of euro in fines every year that could be going into healthcare and into housing. Uh, oh, it's and, and libraries and pedestrianise our streets, and there'd be more people would be able to play, like more kids would be able to play outside safely. And, yeah. Oh, this, this just so we could really, you know, if we all put our collective effort towards it, we could really, really transform society for the better and it would be amazing. Yeah, and there's some places, I mean, New Zealand are, are doing, like, it's still kind of relatively small steps, but they most recently banned live exports, which is a, a drop in the ocean, but, like, they just seem, you know, there's places around the world um that we can definitely look at for inspiration. Um, But... We digress. We're talking about positivity. Get back to the pain. <laughs> um, okay, so Orla is, there's a hearing today and the whole idea is we'll find out that um, if she'll be granted, is it a, a kind of less strenuous bail conditions? Because her bail conditions were ex- extremely strict. Couldn't be within so many yards of a, of a government building. And I don't know her exact bail conditions, but they're similar to mine, which mean signing on at a police station every single day, staying away from all government buildings, getting permission to change address, being contactable 24-7 on a mobile phone, and there were a few other things as well. Okay. Now, one thing I almost completely raised over, which is really important to talk about, is there were a lot of reactions to this protest there there are a few <laughs> so uh can you either can you share with us like what those reactions were um and how they made you feel yeah uh, so obviously there was a big backlash against this action which is not particularly surprising because it's controversial right paint was thrown at a government building and it's you know a kind of historic building so people were upset about that I'd like to ease people con- people's concerns um, that the building was completely cleared up within 18 hours and there's no permanent damage to the building. Um, so you can't even notice that anything happened. Um, and also the main material used to clean the building was water. <laughs> um, it was upsetting because um, to see that, and I think one woman on Twitter said she nearly cried when she saw the state of the building, which really upset me because... The whole point of this is to prevent harm, right? And it's it's not nice to to upset people like that, you know, of course. But, you know, this is, again, like I said, about preventing harm. And if we continue to let the system go unabated, we're going to see continuing mass loss of life. We're going to see continuing displacement. And 
much worse things. Like you said, if someone is uh, worried about property, they should become a climate activist um, because the climate crisis is going to cause or is already causing huge damage to property through extreme weather events um, and also through the you know social and political conflict that's going to arise um, from this crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in general, um, so all the major news um, outlets in Ireland covered it um, to varying degrees. A lot of them just mentioned, like RT, for example, they just said paint was thrown and slogans were written on the building. And it, re- it, was, it was so deliberately vague, like slogans, like they didn't say that it was no more empty promises, which was the whole theme of the protest. And they just showed a picture of the paint. They didn't show the slogans or anything. You know, they didn't say, I don't even think they, they if they use the word protest, they didn't say climate protest. Like they said nothing. Yeah. So obviously that was, you know, uh, disappointing. Um, some other, you know, media outlets mentioned that Orla and I are climate activists. I wasn't aware of any outlet that actually explained <laughs> the reason behind the protest, you know, which we sent out in a press release, which was, you know, to combat Ireland's lack of any proportional climate response. Um, and the fact that, you know, as a member of the Security Council, we have a massive moral responsibility. And per capita, we have a lot of influence as a country. The, the, honestly, the best coverage was, um, I think it was the Mail, the Daily Mail, I think it was, um, because they just transcribed what I said in the live stream. But then also there was a really big outpouring of love and support um, from a lot of people as well, which was so, just so fantastic. Um, basically, all of my friends um, and family reached out to me and were like, you know, we think Orla is amazing. And, you know, we're proud of you for standing up for um you know the climate um <laughs> and for standing up to prevent harm um so that was really lovely and so many letters have been sent to orla like uh i i checked the mailbox i'm not the one printing and sending them it's someone else but i checked the mailbox the other day and it's like 150 emails into that mailbox or something so there's really been international support um for orla and it's had a uh, someone from Cornwall said that it had a really big movement building effect for them and they're now getting more people involved in actions um, and um, they're going to do some solidarity actions with Orla as part of Money Rebellion um, which is just really fantastic. That's so amazing and it happened here as well there was um, I was hosting Extinction Rebellion Ireland's first member meeting new mem- sorry new members meeting in um, since I guess the summer probably and I was in a there's a part in a little breakout room where you introduce yourself to two or three other people and find out why you're there and I was in a breakout room with three strangers and two of them were there because they were inspired by your actions um now that's so amazing but that is the power of this now some people I then got into (laughs) a Facebook debate with someone that I worked with before who was like, you need to be careful if this is recruiting, you know, people when there's damage done to property, are they the right people to be recruited to the movement? And it's like, that is not the point. 
the like as you said already if you're worried about damaged property w- fix the climate crisis issue because acid rain sea level rise where it's a coastal capital you know imagine the riots in future when we're literally fighting over water and food like nothing <laughs> is safe so if we're doing this to make a point and the building was also fine and yes the spray used was even eco-friendly but that's not the point <laughs> um, exactly Like, at the end of the day, you know, with civil resistance, it's not about being liked or being popular. It's about getting a job done, which is forcing a conversation to happen, right? It's about strategic use of peaceful or nonviolent conflict to get a conversation to start. And I absolutely started a conversation. That is the whole goal. Um, And I know that a lot of people disagreed with the methods. People disagreed with the suffragettes, the civil rights movement. I mean, Martin Luther King was the most hated person in the US, <laughs> you know, at the peak of the civil rights campaign. Same with Mandela. I mean, was it Thatcher called him a typical terrorist? <laughs> you know, and I, these people, you know, they were vilified um, by the the media at the time of their actions because it threatened the status quo. And then sort of like, retrospectively, they seem to be very benign figures. <laughs> I guess their sort of um, revolutionary power is sort of ignored or you know swept under the carpet and they're might you know made to seem like nice kind of banner holders <laughs> it's a shame because like i said already i'd rather just be attending to my garden <laughs> yeah. um but i do really feel like i, I feel obligated to do this um yeah. as orla does you know mm-hmm. yeah one thing to mention just in case because i'm learning a lot about um racial issues and white supremacy at the moment that suffragette was a great example of non-violent civil disobedience but it was also a very racist racist movement which i've only learned recently they um were basically just fighting for the votes of white women so we can look at them in one sense but i just have to (laughs) say that in case anyone listening also doesn't know um it's definitely worth looking into and researching and i think Mm -hmm. i really want to say this before we move on to the last little part of our podcast the point we're like you said, it's not a popularity contest and we're not going to get the millions of people that live in Ireland on our side by doing this. But we've already seen that you you said that it's it's um mobilized people in Cornwall. So the the point of this and people joined Extinction Rebellion recently because of this and that what we're trying to do is mobilize people who care. So the people listening to this podcast on eco-friendly living you guys and you know anyone out there who cares about this matter what we're trying to do is get them involved and active in this climate justice movement and this this civil disobedience and all you need is a small percentage consistently being active to get shit done like i mean erica chenoweth says it's 3.5% of the, of the population. Um, now, there's some kind of people are looking at, like, oh, things that I don't even really understand, you know, does it apply to the climate justice movement? But if you look at Ireland and you look at, say, the, I bring this up a few times, with the Irish water charges that a lot of people disagreed with because they were paying for it multiple times and it was privatised and there's, like, there's leaks happening everywhere constantly. And, you know, they're expected to pay for this. So there was a lot of disruption. 100,000 people is what that took. Um, And more just doing a simple boycott. No, I'm not paying. You know, so what we're trying to do 
by doing this is to inspire people who are concerned as well to join us and all we need we don't need everyone to like us and we don't need um four million people out on the streets that's obviously impossible in Ireland that's not going to happen we just need a small group of people dedicating themselves to the movement and you do not need to put yourself up for a rest I have not done that yet um I say yes like I can feel it coming um (laughs) I have not put myself up for a rest and for every one person who does that there's 10 people behind them supporting them doing logistics you know there's someone like minding your house keys um there's we've got our legal observer someone taking photographs you've got the person who made a costume if we're in a costume like there's so many ways that you can be involved without doing that but being part of the movement and helping because jesus we need energy and bodies now more than ever so i think you've done a great job of kind of like demystifying the whole process um a little bit <laughs> so thank you for that just a cautionary update on the 3.5 percent yes a, can a, you explain a paper. that there's a yeah there's a paper by chenoweth sorry i'm just obsessed with chenoweth uh, uh, <laughs> um but yeah so 3.5 percent is often quoted as how much you need from a movement to be successful but what's really interesting is the research shows that no regime has withstood more than 3.5%. Um, so I think with, uh, let's see, I just got the paper up here. Um, so with less than 1% of the population, you can have a 45% success rate. In fact, with 0.015 to 0.06% of the population, there is a 24% success rate, which is huge. 0.015% of the population. Wow. Like I'm not good enough at maths to figure out how many no, people that means in Ireland. Um, <laughs> We're so but dumb. yeah, it's really you oh, know. Also, I do it really quick. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, we don't. It's not unimaginable. Um, mm. there are that many people. There are that many people in Ireland concerned. There was a, something like 76% or something uh, in a poll, Friends of the Earth, it was at least that anyway, release where that that's how much of the population is concerned about the climate crisis, think it's a huge issue. So I'm sorry, if we get how many of those people, we can literally enact this change. The government have no option without war or a pandemic they're not going to make changes that we need unless well oh my god I'm not like promoting war but I'm saying like (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying like um historically you know like big changes haven't happened unless there was a massive amount of fear like in a wartime effort you know they're saving lives okay and everyone accepts those changes same with covid there's a fear and everyone just accepts those changes because they can see the immediate threat we cannot see this immediate threat where we are we can't see these indigenous people who are being murdered um you know we can't see the forests burning down in front of us or the coral reefs uh, being bleached or the people who have already lost their homes because of sea level rise we can't see that so it's up to the concerned people to unfortunately we have to raise the fear we have to like raise awareness to the to the science to the facts to get more people involved like we we basically need 
to be the alarm bell, you know, and people were like, you're all just alarmists. Well, I don't care for labels, but if that's when you want to call me, then fine, because there's a freaking fire. <laughs> like, yes, I'm going to set the alarm. Oh, my God. Right. Sorry. Yeah, there was a great quote recently, and it's like people are getting angry at Extinction Rebellion for sounding the fire alarm, you know, <laughs> It's just like, would you get angry at someone for sounding a fire alarm if there was a fire? It's like, oh, you're disrupting my day. I'm trying to work. It's like, would you rather burn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that you had a really good analogy. Um, I think you shared this on your Facebook post in response to some of the responses that you were getting for the Ivy House action. Um, where, or maybe it was Scientist Rebellion. Anyway, you shared a quote about if there is a sitting room on fire and you're in the sitting room with like a couple of other people, you have a responsibility um, to break the window of the sitting room to get everyone out there. It's not only legally kind of acceptable, but you have a moral and ethical duty to, if you were the closest one there, to smash that window to save the lives of others. So mm-hmm. again, just linking back to damage. But so again, went on a little... um journey there but what was that that figure you said was 0.015 was the minimum was it for for a coarser a coarser um so 24.24 percent success rate it was between 0.015 and 0.06 percent of the population zero sorry 0.06% hi guys this is Kara back from the future to correct a very big mistake here worth several zeros because I cannot use a calculator. I calculated this completely wrong, okay? 0.06% of the population of Ireland, which is 4.9 million people, is 2,940 people. And 0.015% of the population is 735 It's so much better than we thought, but I had to correct those figures for you. And 3.5% of the population, which according to Chenoweth's studies, no regime has resisted. 3.5% of the population of Ireland is 171,500. A lot of numbers there, but I just had to come back and correct that. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. You said about 100,000 for And it was 100,000 for water charges. There you go. Like, that is that is all we need. So, you know, yes, we're still in the pandemic, but you can get involved. Orla was one person doing this, you know. It only takes one person to sit down, block a road. So, before we move on, do you have anything you want to share before? I'm going to ask you how people can get involved. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. In terms of answering that question about what to do or how to get involved um people find other people that care that's the most important thing because you can do actions by yourself definitely but it's much safer and much better and you know more fun (laughs) if you meet um other people who who care um so i would recommend connecting with a radical social justice movement something like extinction rebellion or animal rebellion or reclaim the streets or black lives matter find people who care um and talk to them talk to them about what they've done what they've got planning think of an issue and think of a target and it can be a really 
it can just be very simple. It can just be sitting outside. You could block the door of a building just by sitting or stick um, research onto the building about, you know, the issues that they're causing or the issues they're connected with. But yeah, most importantly is connect with people um, that care. Um, and I'm, I've mentioned a lot of literature today because this is something I'm really interested in, something I care about um, and something that I've had a lot of time to look at. Um, but you don't need to you don't need to be super well versed in any sort of literature. It's really it is quite simple. I've looked into it because I really want to rationalize to myself that I am doing the right thing because it is tough. But really, you know, it's about kind of doing what you feel to be right. You know, and if there's something you disagree with, then it usually feels right to resist that. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Now, for a totally different curveball, I've got random questions for you, Zach. Lovely. <laughs> Do you want to give me your first letter? And we'll see how we go. D. D. What's your favourite secondhand find? Oh, my favourite secondhand find. I did pick up a really nice red check shirt in a charity shop well, well over a year ago now, which I really love. So it might be that. I wonder if I have any more creative answers. <laughs> no, that's perfect. You don't need creative. Practical works as well. Before, <laughs> I found very practical, useful. My fruit bowl is a black plastic bowl I got in a charity shop and love it. It makes the counter look so much cleaner. So red check it. shirt for the win. Can you give me another letter? Um... L. L for lime. If you could drop one fact into the into every brain on the planet, what would that fact be? Ooh. See, immediately I'm thinking like strategically. I'm like, what could make the most impact <laughs> from one fact? Um, I think it would probably be something about civil resistance. Probably the fact I would give would be that you know through unionizing through working with others you can overcome systems of oppression because i think a lot of people feel really helpful helpless um but there's just so much evidence to show that when people do come together they can do things yeah that's oh, what I that think so cheesy no but, <laughs> but it's so true like it's it's so true because so many people just accept things the way they are and I think that, you know, the the good man who does nothing, you know, either because he thinks that he shouldn't um, or thinks that it won't make a difference, does as much harm sometimes as the person, you know, doing the harm with the with the with the tool in their hand. You know, I think I think it's really important that people know that that it doesn't have to be the way it is. It doesn't have to be the way it is. And tell yourself that over and over again. Like it does not have to be this way. I think it was it was Einstein that said he was like, the only thing that needs to happen for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. That's something it. like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But we'll change it to good people. <laughs> yeah. Um another letter? W. W. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Some superpower, I don't know, maybe like a, a time turner, like <laughs> my new Granger has a Harry Potter something to give me more time because there's just not enough time there's so many things I want to read and learn and do and I never have enough time for any of them so yeah my superpower would be to create more time 
Excellent. It'd be quite helpful in terms of the climate crisis as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Maybe we could go back and like undig up some fossil fuels as well. Definitely. That would be very nice. Um, okay, we'll do two more. Give us another letter. M. M for maple. Best plant-based meal you've ever had? Oh, my dad does this really cool dish called giant burrito. Um, so essentially, <laughs> it's like... It's like a um, rice and sweet potato and peppers and onions fried in spices. Um, and then it's all wrapped in um, tortilla. So it like it basically forms like a big cake shape and then you cut slices out of it. Um, so, yeah, that's probably my favorite plant. Oh, my God. Can you send me a photograph of that the next yeah, time? Gladly, <laughs> yeah. makes it. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> um, OK, and another one. See. See a piece of art that moved you. This is a poem recently that I came across called The Orange, uh, which I really like. I could find it and quickly read it. Um, if you want, it's quite short. That would be amazing. At lunchtime, I, brought a, I bought a huge orange. The size of it made us all laugh. I peeled it and shared it with Robert and Dave. They got quarters and I had a half. And that orange... It made me so happy, as ordinary things often do just lately. The shopping, a walk in the park, the peace and contentment. It's new. The rest of the day was quite easy. I did all the jobs on my list and enjoyed them and had some time over. I love you. I'm glad I exist. That's so lovely. Um, I just came across that recently and I just really love it. I don't know. I just, I, I just love uh, the idea of just simplicity and contentment in that. Yeah, and who wrote it? Um, Wendy Cope. Okay, very good. All right, I have a question for you, and I want to know what your favorite protest memory is. Favorite protest memory. I think my favorite protest memory is when I did the first Scientist Rebellion action. So this was in the UK um, with. The lovely humans, um, Mike and Tim, who co-founded Scientist Rebellion. And we had, uh, there were three supporters there. Uh, Farhat was taking pictures. Tracy was live streaming. Ricky, a guy from Real Media, was filming as well. And it's not really the protest itself. It was just afterwards. Because, you know, tensions were high. We thought we were going to be arrested. Were, um, were you pasting research onto the walls of Oxford here? Was, that at that, was it that one? Um similar we were pasting research onto nature um the publishers okay um and we were kind of nervous we thought we were gonna get arrested but we didn't um and afterwards we went to the park and had beers and it was just lovely it was so nice they were some of my favorite humans that i've ever met and yeah it was just it was just lovely it was great that's yeah I think people forget you know you think if you go to a protest you're just gonna leave feeling angry or be angry and you'll uh, but I've honest to god met some of the best people through civil disobedience movements um and it's been the most it's not always anger and ranting um you know sorry for a lot of that in this episode on my half but Mm. um it's not always the case. There's so much like laughter and oh, the relief when you find people that care about the same thing you do. It's like you don't even have to talk about it. 
You actually, exactly. you don't have to talk about it. Like with my friends outside of climate movement, they ask me, you know, what about this, Karen? What about this? And I'm, it actually kind of takes a bit more energy. But with these people, you don't have to talk about it. You all know. You can just relax and be with each other. And like, then you have the time when, right, lads, let's put our... <laughs> let's put our paint gear on and girl throw paint in a building to try change the world and you understand why we do it you know I think that's just so important so that's a lovely memory to have and thank you so much and if there was one leaf you would want people to add into their book what would it be um I think the leaf would be I don't know probably a leaf like a page like it like <laughs> from um Eric Chenoweth's work um it would be to, I guess, you know, engage in, you know, nonviolent civil resistance if you are able to, if you have the privilege to be able to, or to support those who do. Um, that would be my sort of, that would be my uh, advice or leaf. Amazing. Yes. Thank you so, so much, Zach, for all that you've done. And I can't wait to see you on the streets. Thank you so much. Hopefully see you soon. <laughs> Alrighty then, that was Zach. I hope you guys enjoyed that discussion with him and you found it inspiring or you found some knowledge in there and hey, even if you don't want to do actions similar to these, hopefully it just inspires you to get active or at least understand and have empathy towards groups that may work differently to how you've seen protests and stuff work but the reasons why behind them and all of the literature that um, all of the authors that Zach mentioned I have linked in the show notes and Zach also sent me references for all the scientific facts he said um, about um, uh, global warming and the effects that it will have I've referenced everything he sent me on these really good links so you can check out the show notes and if you can't see the show notes in full on whatever podcast platform you're listening on I do have a website bookofleavespodcast.com and they're in full there now Orla since being released shared a video on their Instagram I think on Friday the towards the end of April asking people to join them in actions you've two action options every Monday and every Friday Orla has to go sign on at a Garda station as part of their bail conditions and on Monday she is asking you to partake in meat-free Mondays if you're not already vegetarian or vegan because going vegan and eating less animal products is one of the biggest things we can do as individuals to reduce our impact on the environment and on Fridays she is going to sign on in Garda stations again and is asking you to do an action any action outdoors, some kind of stickering or flyering or chalking or sitting somewhere with a banner, anything at all. And that is their request. If you found what they've done inspiring or you want to get involved, you don't need to join a big movement if you don't want to. You can do it in in your own time yourself but I do always recommend joining the movement because oh my god the people you meet um, it's just amazing 
Okay, I think that is everything. Don't forget to share this episode, please, if you're listening to it on Apple Podcast, if you could leave a little review, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. And you can rate it as well and subscribe and share, share, share. And you can keep up to date in between podcast episodes on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And as always, if you can support it on Patreon or buy me a coffee that would be so much appreciated and thank you so much to everyone who already does that really really thank you so much so that is it I will see you in two weeks time when we're gonna switch the tables completely and talk about biodiversity and saving hedgehogs so I love um biodiversity episodes so that's what's going to be coming up next so stay tuned for that and I will see you or talk to you more so I will talk to you in two weeks time mind yourselves give yourself a nice hug go hug a tree and have a lovely cup of tea or something all right talk to you soon guys bye